Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. All right, we are back on Fizz Radio. It is the first Fizz Radio of October, coming to you during the bye week for Syracuse football. Bye week comes at a really good time. Tim Leonard, Harrison Singer here with you. After Tommy DeVito left, a little injured around the four-minute mark against Holy Cross, Syracuse is back above 500. They're 3-2, but getting set for the heart of ACC play. And, man, it feels like they've got a lot to work on during this bye week, and it is timely because this NC State game is going to be really massive, Harrison. Yeah, this is this it, next Saturday is definitely going to be a, a, a test. It's going to be a make or break, honestly. I mean, you lose that game, you're back to, to 500 on the season. And it, also just in terms of the quality of opponent, you know, it's – to see how they how Syracuse compares to NC State is going to be very telling, I think, for how things go the rest of the season. It feels like a litmus test, and we sh- it is yeah. Thursday night actually in, in Carter Finley Stadium at NC State, and then I mean, really, the next two weeks after this bye week, you've got a Thursday night game against NC State on the road, and then you come back home for a Friday night game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, and those two games to me. That's when we find out what is Syracuse football yeah. in the 2019 season. Absolutely. Because we know right now why they're struggling, mostly the offensive line, and mm-hmm. also Tommy DeVito, I think it's fair to say, has not maybe lived up to the billing or the hype that maybe we thought he could get to. It's been a little bit of growing pains transitioning from Eric Dungy. The good news is the rest of the ACC is struggling along with Syracuse. It's really not good. It's probably worse than the Pac-12 right now. And really the only reason you could make the case that they're still ahead of the Pac-12 in the race of Power 5 conferences is because they have Clemson, who is probably going to make the college football playoff again and just escape North Carolina this week. But at the end of the day, if you don't have Clemson, they're basically the Pac-12 right now. You've got teams like Florida State, Miami, some of these thoroughbreds, Virginia Tech, they're all down. The teams that are up, Wake Forest, Virginia, we thought Syracuse would be up, or more basketball schools. So it's a down year for the conference. Another team that's having a down year is NC State, the next opponent. And for Syracuse, it's now, all right, let's reset. Let's get the offensive line better. Let's get Tommy DeVito more confidence. And there's still time to recover this season and get to that eight-win mark. People are talking about win totals now. I think eight wins is still realistic, but they do have to play a lot better than what we saw, even against Holy Cross. I know they won 41-3, but it was still underwhelming. It was underwhelming. You know, looking at that schedule ahead and and, and thinking about can they get eight wins, it's going to be interesting. You know, yeah, at NC State, that's going to be a tough game. You know coming back, you know, on a fr- for a Friday night home game against Pittsburgh, it's going to be electric in the, car- in, in the dome. Yep. And you don't know what you're getting at FSU. Obviously, the last time the Orange you was really there, don't. it was it was a heartbreaking finish. You know, I don't. Truthfully, I don't think, especially with Francois gone after last year, I don't think you're 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 getting a Florida State team that I think there's a lot of turnover. They're really rebuilding, you know, the program, and and uh, you know they're they're kind of in, in a bit of a state of a flux down in Tallahassee. Yeah, BC after them should be a game that you win, but again, like. What we were just saying, you look at these ACC standings, and it's 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 kind of like a dogfight right in the middle after Clemson and Wake right. Forest, and 
you know, credit where credit's due. Shout out Wake Forest because certain and Syracuse has them at the very end of the season. Yeah. Could that be a game, you know, that you go into with seven wins and you know, we're talking about the eight win mark here. Well, if 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 it's gonna potentially come in that game, I wouldn't be banking on that right, right. now. All these games feel like toss ups. Yeah. It's crazy. Even at Duke, you know, even at Louisville. Louisville's a little on the rise. Syracuse is worse than we thought, maybe. You know what's funny is I feel like last year the ACC past the top two teams was kind of like this, but Syracuse was that second team. Yeah. So like I feel like a Syracuse, if you're Syracuse, you're you're a bit you know humbled a little in the sense that last year you had this all this success with you know your senior quarterback, you know turning it over the position this year and to, you know to a, to a first year starter. Things go differently, and, and, and for Dino and, and for, you know, the rest of the squad who was part of a team that won, 10, or won the Camping World Bowl last year, too, it's, it's humbling, I think. It's interesting because last time we did this, we were previewing the Clemson game, so that was about three weeks ago now, mm. and when we talked, it was fresh off Maryland and, and all that debacle, oh. and a lot of the focus was on the defense, and we both agreed, obviously, that the defense really needed to improve yes. after that game, and... For the most part, they played pretty solid against Clemson. They did not play well against Western Michigan. Mm -hmm. Holy Cross, I don't even know if you can really even evaluate because it's Holy Cross. Is Rudy still playing for Holy Cross? (laughs) (laughs) It's an FCS team, and, I mean, let's face it, that was not the stern beating that you probably would have hoped for in the Carrier Dome. Now, though, it it does feel like the, the focus has transitioned from not so much the defense is the problem to it is the offensive line. Yep. That's what needs to get cured. Right now, Tommy DeVito has been sacked 18 times through five games. That is the second highest mark of quarterbacks in the country. Absolutely. That's 19 tough. for the Arkansas quarterback is only ahead of him. And DeVito's QBR currently is 87th in the country. Right. Now, QBR isn't the best statistic ever, but his QBR is around 47 right now. And that does take into account the strength of schedule of teams you're playing. Mm-hmm. And he is still well below the pack, well below the middle of the pack in the country at 87 right now. So I think think we've shifted from the last time we talked three weeks ago from the defense to offensive line and really the offense in general. Right. I mean, I'm going to first say or play a little devil's advocate here and say it's always tougher, undoubtedly tougher when you're going through a lot of turnover on the offensive line. You know, up front, you know, they're, they're down, they're center. The right tackles had to move over to the left. It, it, there's a lot of there's been a lot of shuffling, you know. As a result, Devito's had less time to throw the ball, no doubt. It's there are multiple things we can we can kind of dissect here because how does he do under an, an increased amount of pressure? You know, we've seen Devito a lot of times roll immediately roll to his right, and it kind of gets predictable for a defense if you're doing that time and yep. time again in, in, in a game. But also. It's not like he's – and also to, you know, play devil's advocate here, DeVito, it's not like he's been bailed out by the run. They're still 91st in the country in rush yards per game. It's not It's not something that, you know, it would help the passing game a ton if you were able to establish a running game. And you have running backs with experience on your team, running backs who've had success at the college level. Moniel obviously had a great game last week against Holy Cross, but – I don't know how much that says. Right. It, it, it throughout the entire season so far, it could be better. It, you know. It it's also the wide receivers <laughs> a little bit too, because think about. I mean, when we were going into the season, and Tristan Jackson, all the credit to him, he has blossomed into that guy. And you know, where the offense has been struggling, he has somehow risen to the occasion and really been excellent through the first four or five weeks here. Yeah. They needed him to be big. The, you know, they, they need they him did. though because. 
uh, you've gotten more from Aaron Hackett, which has been good to see. I can't remember the last time, really, since Dino has gotten here, that we've seen more from a tight end Absolutely. in two games. Absolutely. And it's been against inferior opponents, but Aaron Hackett, three touchdowns the last two weeks. The issue for me, Tosh Harris played better against Holy Cross last week, finally got his first touchdown, his first 100-yard receiving game. But Tosh Harris was one of the best, statistically, one of the best receivers in program history as a freshman. Mm-hmm. One of the best freshmen, He had one of the best freshman seasons in program history. Absolutely. He's kind of plateaued. Nikeem Johnson, it's got to be maybe partially injuries because he has basically been a zero in this offense. No doubt. He has not caught a pass, it feels like, that has gone for more than three or four yards. Mm-hmm. Every single catch for him is right around a yard. He's averaging right around a yard per catch. Yeah. And that's someone who was a fixture on the offense last year. And then there's Sean Riley. That's who, the guy I was thinking, yeah. When you used to throw to him, when he used to get the ball, he could easily turn four yards into ten yards. Absolutely. And he really thrived in this offense Absolutely. with those bubble screens and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's not been there. So you need more from the wide receiver. You know break. what? I think when, for me, that is the name. Sean Riley, I know, you know, Nikeem Johnson, the stats will tell you his season's been a little sure. more disappointing, but... Sean Riley was a guy, I think, with Dungy in your offense. The defense has to worry about two legitimate threats that can take a play right from the line of scrimmage and take it to the house immediately. You know, you talked about, you know, Sean, Sean Riley on these bubble screens. Absolutely. You know, he reminds me of kind of like a Tyler Lockett type player, you know, what we see at the next level. And he hasn't had more than five receptions in a game, but more importantly, he hasn't gone for more than 38 yards in a game. His long on the season's 15 yards. That, I f- you know, that's something that, is in my in my eyes as a result of a more simplified offense, a definitely a more simplified passing attack in the sense that it's not built around your quarterback running. It's you know Devito being a pocket passer, a lot of times not 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 Syracuse not really taking shots down the field. I I don't think a guy like Riley who's clearly athletically and explosive enough to have success. I just don't think he's being put in a position to succeed this year. The other thing is, I mean, you mentioned the movement on the offensive line. Hopefully you get Sam Heckle back soon because yes. that is a huge That's your loss. backbone. And, That's your backbone. Right. It's being overlooked probably a little bit that you lose your center, and that required a lot of shifting. But for me, they're 0 for 5 on, on satisfying performances. We, we played five games now, and maybe you could say Liberty, but the offense still did not look really good at all against Liberty. And I know it was on the road, but it's Liberty. It's a team that's just transitioning to the FBS. So mm-hmm. you can maybe say the Liberty game, but I don't think so based on how the offense played. So if you take ev- all five games, if we would have met on Sunday or the day after all five games, you would have said, eh, that was kind of underwhelming. That wasn't satisfying. They're 0 for 5 on satisfying the fan base. No doubt about that. And, and, and you know, even after 3-2, and two, after getting back on the right track, it's like – that's exactly why we're having conversations. Right. Like that's that's a great way of putting it. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. The the Clemson game, obviously, we can excuse. It would have been nice to see them cut it a little bit closer. Maryland game too. Like we're just gonna kind of try and forget about that. But yeah, you talk about the three wins this season. Like a twenty-four nothing win over Liberty is it's shabby. You know, it's right. not it's not that impressive, especially with the way the offense looked and and Western Michigan too. They they're not they're not. That was a close they, game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For all intents and purposes, it was, and it's not like this is the same team that you know went undefeated in the regular season with PJ Fleck as their coach, you know, rowing the boat and all that. Like they don't have much. that same energy, and it's not a knock on them, but you know, it, it's it, it's definitely worth noting. And and then the Holy Cross game, forty-one to three, 
We also, you know, said just five, about five minutes ago, it's it's not – it was like one of the most confusing 41-3 to three yeah. wins I think I've ever seen. Right. So, you know. I will say before we go to break here, it does – and this is going to sound really simple, but it does feel like the offense – needs to get first downs to get going. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, yes, obviously they need to get first downs, but once they get their first couple first downs, that's when we see the residuals of the Dino Babers offense. That's when we see them get into hyper speed or get going and the defense get a little adjusted. And it's not like they're calling creative plays from that point, but they're taking advantage of the scheme and the style that Dino has. I, I think that's a great point. I think a lot of that you can allude to when you have a first a quarterback who's starting, you know, in his first year, and an offense that's working around that guy, and a defense that's kind of waiting for the offense to get going, I can understand there being some nerves involved, you know, with wanting to show out and and finally kind of right the ship here. And it definitely would take, understandably, take a few first downs, really just anything that would get that offense in the flow of things. And I don't think they've really been able to sustain that over the course of an entire game so far this season. And I don't think, you know, it's it, I don't want to be a downer, but I don't know if that, you know, will change on the road in, you know, in Raleigh next week. Like it's that that's a t- that's a tall order. Yeah, for sure. He's Harrison Singer, I'm Tim Leonard. We're just getting started here on Fizz Radio. Got you till 10 a.m. on the score 1260. When we come back, time to talk a little basketball recruiting. A lot of news this week. One miss for Syracuse, one guy put Syracuse in his top 3. And we crunched the numbers a little bit since Mike Hopkins has left. You're going to want to hear these numbers because, frankly, they're not all that good for Syracuse fans. That's next on Fizz Radio. All right, we're back on Fizz Radio. Tim Leonard Harrison Singer with you till 10 a.m. If you missed our first segment on Syracuse football, check us out on the podcast app, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search Orange Fizz and get all the Fizzcasts in Fizz Radio there. Now going to talk some Syracuse basketball recruiting. Kind of an iffy week for them with the Andre Jackson news. If you missed out on that, Jackson, who's the Albany product, we've talked a lot about on these platforms here. He was for a while linked to Syracuse, a top 50 guy, ESPN number 50, is his ranking in the 2020 class. He committed to UConn after taking a visit there, it became pretty clear he was going there. And since that happened, there was some chatter. I know UConn was tweeting, Barstool UConn was tweeting at Barstool Syracuse saying they haven't gotten any recruits since Mike Hopkins left. And... When you crunch the numbers, Harrison, it, it does lend you to believe that the recruiting has dipped since Mike Hopkins left, who is, of course, the main recruiter for Syracuse. Yes, yes. I, I, uh, that is, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I've even heard Tyus Battle out of his mouth say, and this was you know, when asked if there was a chance that Hopkins would ever consider coming back to Syracuse. Right. He said, absolutely not, but that was the guy who recruited me the entire time. I think... Also, it's pretty clear when you see a guy like Isaiah Stewart, who's from Rochester, New York, go all the way out to the University of Washington to follow who? Mike Hopkins, obviously. <laughs> so I think, oh, I don't want to, to, to be the guy to say it, but you know, maybe there's some truth to the fact that he kind of has been backboning the whole recruiting operation over these last few years. And, and when I say last few years, I mean 
guys who are still making their decisions now. I, I think that right. these guys are being talked to by Hopkins at maybe 13, maybe 14 years old, and you see them at 18 years old now graduating from high school. They're not coming here anymore because Hopkins is, you know, he's not here anymore. When you look at the past three years since Mike Hopkins has left, remember he left on March 19, 2017. So if you look at the 2018 recruiting class, the 2019 recruiting class, the 2017 recruiting class as well, and then you factor in a little bit of what we've seen from 2020. Now it is still early, and this 2020 class we should mention was never thought to be a deep class. They just got five guys in the last class, so you don't have that many scholarships. There's not even really a quote-unquote senior on this team. Some guys will probably leave. It'll open up some scholarships, but you have Woody Newton as the lone commit so far in this class. So you're 52nd overall in 24-7 sports in terms of class ranking this year. The three years before that, since Mike Hopkins has left, 2019, 2018, 2017, those recruiting classes average out to a 37.6 in a national ranking. Now, the four years before, so we're talking 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, with Mike Hopkins as your main recruiter, the average of those four years, 18th best recruiting class in the country. When yeah. you look at the numbers, I even I did an article on orangefizz.net. We've got a graph here that shows you it's going in the wrong direction, and it's a steady incline really if you look at it from that perspective as i did in the graph that they're going up in the rankings and there's no signs of a top 10 class like we saw in 2013 like we saw in 2010 top eight top five classes syracuse has been steadily in the 30 to 40 range and look i think rankings aren't everything but it's undisputed that they have dropped since Mike Hopkins left as the main recruiter. I think there's a lot to dissect here. I think since his departure, the identity of the program has completely changed. They're going for guys, I don't know if going for is the right thing. Ideally, you wouldn't be striking out on one-and-done caliber players. Sure. But, you know, they're, they're, they're getting guys who... And we, we even talked about this during basketball season on the air you know, last season where they're getting guys who are, end up coming in and they're, they're going to be four-year players. They're going to be fan favorites. They're going to come back and get honored That's here true. one day yep. you know, and, and stuff like that. Oh, the one thing, though, that and obviously that has its downsides. And, and honestly, though, articles, research has came out that backs experienced teams and their success in you know, the NCAA tournament, per se, which I understand it, it probably helps having been in a big moment before. But... I think, and these are and these are Tyus Battle's words. I asked Tyus Battle if he sees Mike Hopkins ever coming back to Syracuse. He said, not a chance. But he did say that Hopkins was the guy that recruited him the entire time. What does that tell me? I mean, I think that he kind of, Hopkins has kind of been backboning this recruiting operation a little bit. And I don't want to call Beheim, you know, a, a figurehead to it at all because he's obviously maintained and, and built up quite a reputation on the Hill. But, you know... The proof's in the pudding. He left. Yeah. Isaiah Stewart was a guy from that I, I always like to use as an example. Here was a guy right. from 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 Rochester, New York, nearby Rochester, and he ended up following Hopkins all the way out across the country to the University of Washington. Right. He did not go to Washington because he liked Washington. Right. I mean, because he likes I the Space Needle, all that great right. scenery. I'm not just gonna put work. I'm sure you had to like the place a little bit if you're Isaiah Stewart. Sure. I don't know him, but. All signs point to a kid from Rochester, New York, like you said, going to Washington. Right. That's was, peculiar. He was following Mike Hopkins. Right. And in all honesty, I think if Hopkins was still at Syracuse, even as an assistant, 
Isaiah Stewart's probably at Syracuse. Even bigger than Isaiah Stewart. I'm about to drop a name that all Syracuse fans are very familiar with. Darius Baisley. And I, and I use this as a very crucial example because what seems to be the case is you have guys that used to come here, four or five-star recruits, like Baisley's caliber. Obviously, Jalen Carey followed suit, which was nice. He fulfilled his commitment. But I think, and, and remember, Baisley's under Rich Paul, you know, in yep, clutch yep. sports. <laughs> Rich Paul knows a thing or two about, you know, representing players and, and probably knowing what's best for them. I think a lot of smart guys are telling these NBA-bound players who used to be, you know, Syracuse-bound, maybe Syracuse, you know, with the way their offense runs, pretty stagnant, runs only really through their best offensive player, you know, whether it's Tyus Battle or O'Shea Brissett when sure. Battle's on the floor, won't rarely that, that be. But you combine that also with the lack of NBA prep you're getting playing in a 2-3 zone on defense, and I think an NBA-bound prospect is uh, is definitely reluctant, more reluctant to go here than in years prior. It's interesting. I remember when Beheim was asked kind of, I don't know what the direct question was, but it was something along the lines of the 2-3 zone preparing guys for the NBA, and he basically just said, no one cares about the, the defense in the NBA. It's all about offense. And that's a, you know, you can lean into that a little bit, but like you said, the offense isn't really producing numbers Absolutely. also. Krzyzewski, Calipari, I'll even take this to football with Saban and, 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 and all these these great guys that show up and, and, and pre- give these, these great presentations to recruits. They pitch them on the potential of playing at the next level. They implement things that that, that help. That, like, things like not playing a 2-3 zone, they also give paths to these athletes that make it easier for them to, to, to kind of get on the radar, you know, scouts at the next level. I, I feel like the exposure and, and the situations that they're put in here at Syracuse, they're not, they're not quite the same as these big universities. I will say these Canadian guys that they're getting, I think Quincy Garrier is really good who's coming in. I think he could be a one-and-done prospect, and that's not necessarily going to show up when you look at the ESPN rankings, but these rankings we're going off of are 24-7 sports. They have Garrier pretty high. Even Counting that, though, when you look at a Marek Dolajai, people like that that have blossomed into those four-year guys, those fan favorites, there's something to be said that they kind of are shifting in identity to recruiting more international, recruiting more Canadian, and recruiting guys that can stay and grow for three, four years. Still, when you factor all that in, you still have to produce talent to win games, and the talent has dropped since Mike Hopkins left. I don't think there's any denying that. Now, they're in the running for Isaiah Jackson. If they get him, this whole conversation kind of becomes a wash because then it's a pretty successful recruiting class when you consider they were only really after two guys from the get-go, and Isaiah Jackson's probably better than Andre Jackson, even though Andre really felt like he was a lock to go to Syracuse. It felt like if you could create a recruit for Syracuse, it was him. But the identity is shifting, and there's really no denying that the talent has dropped as well. It has, and I mean... I don't know if a guy like Isaiah Jackson is what his situation would be like because the other schools he's looking at, two in the SEC in Alabama and Kentucky, we all know about the quality of the program Kentucky boasts. So sure. is it a scenario where if he went there, he's kind of riding the pine for the first year? Too? I remember a guy a, a guy who went to Kentucky over Syracuse was an NYC guy and kind of dubbed Syracuse a little bit. It was Dakari Johnson, the center, a few yeah. years ago. You remember that? And he didn't end up really panning out at Kentucky. You know, they obviously are, are, are kind of the, the five guys they're putting on the floor are all 
usually five right. either one and done, so they're out after their sophomore year. The other year. thing with Jackson is there's already four forwards that have committed to Kentucky in his right, class. Right, right. So That's true. It makes you think, why not come to Syracuse if you're him? But the reason is because, you, like you said, with Calipari, he is producing that philosophy. There is a track record there that says you come to Kentucky – you will go to the NBA, and you will make money. Mm -hmm. And for Syracuse, yes, they put guys in the NBA, but it's been a lot of guys recently, let's be honest, that have been like a Malachi Richardson, a Tyler Lydon. They're they're playing well. They're up there with NBA teams, but they're bouncing back and forth with the G League, and they're not quite producing like the Kentucky. Right, absolutely. I I don't think we'll see that until, until... I don't know when, because I don't really know what measures will be taken in the future after kind of Beheim rounds out his time as head coach. But things won't change in, in the regard that you're kind of talking about here until something like that changes, where it's right. a new regime, where it's – because the identity right now is with the three, four-year guys that you're bringing in, you can't expect them to, to end up going pro and, and being great. Like, you don't see Draymond Green situations happen every day. You don't. The guy no. was a four-year stud at, at Michigan State, picked, still picked in the second round in the NBA draft, and that's a hard worker, a big character guy. Those are those are still rare and hard to find. It's, like you said, we're more more of the Tyler Lydon types, more – and even the guys coming in now, I see Joe Girard being a four-year player. You said Guerriere could be a one-and-done. I don't see him come staying for all four years, that's right. for sure. But, you know, what about Bryson Goodine? And, and, and Jalen Carey was a freshman last year. He's going to definitely be asked to do more this season. How long is he going to stick around? You know, I'm not necessarily hitting the panic button but because I do like next year's class a, a lot more than maybe some do. But at the end of the day, the talent is dropping, and since they lost their main recruiter, as expected, recruiting rankings are dropping along with it. We crunch the numbers. It's in the it's in proofs in the pudding, like you said. It's there. Now let's talk some football because we're at about the halfway point here. We're at the bye week. Let's evaluate. Go to school on this team. Report cards are up next. We're going to grade each and every position for the Syracuse football team to this point this season. That's next on Fizz Radio. We are halfway home here on Fizz Radio. Tim Leonard, Harrison Singer, going to talk some football again and break down where we're at right now with this football team. Going to bring out the report cards in grade each position group. We're going to start with quarterback Harrison, the group that I, I think most have been underwhelmed with, with obviously the expectations for Tommy DeVito coming in. I said B- minus for him just because... He was good against Western Michigan. The turnovers have gone down, albeit against inferior opponents. But at the end of the day, he's struggling. And part of the reason he's struggling, though, is because of the offensive line. So I don't want to bring him into the C category, but he should have played better. And I think we all agree he's underwhelmed. I think uh, I, I don't disagree with that notion. If C is kind of the general average here, if that's gonna, if that's how we're gonna describe an average player, that's what they say. I'm gonna give, yeah, I'm gonna give him a, a C plus, I suppose, maybe. And and I think a lot still remains to be seen there. You know, how does he play next week on the road? How does you know? We'll see. We'll see. There's definitely room for him to prove otherwise. Yes. And there's still a lot of season left, but you know, I think C plus B minus is right where. Everyone should be right now. And is he going to be fully healthy next week, too? That's true. That's true. He did say, for the most part, he's good to go. The only time he spoke after the game was to Matt Park, who's the voice of the Orange, of Mm -hmm. course. And he said, good to go. But 
I mean, that's the thing with college football injuries. Let the doctors do their job, you know, right? (laughs) Right. So B-minus for me, C-plus for you on DeVito. Running backs, kind of tough to evaluate because the offensive line's been so bad. And, you know, we've seen some good things in the past catching game from Mo Neal and Abdul Adams. And Abdul Adams had a nice touchdown run against Holy Cross. They're working in both. I said B, but this was a tough one for me to even give a grade to because – they haven't been that good, but they also can't really be that good because of the offensive yes, line. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to say B for that exact reason, too. I would truthfully like to see Abdul Adams a little more involved. Yeah. Uh, I, I really think they have something special there that's not being fully tapped into. No knock on Moniel. He definitely deserves volume, but it'd be nice to see Abdul Adams get a shot after tearing up the competition at Oklahoma, even in a limited sample size. Sure. So now we get to the group offensive line that I think is is where everyone's going to have lower marks. For me, it's a D, and and that might sound harsh, but yeah, they are they've been awful. I mean, they're second in the country in sacks allowed to the quarterback position this year. Second in the entire country. That's 130 teams, right. and against Holy Cross, I know there's been injuries there. I know Sam Heckles out. But it's Holy Cross, man. You should be manhandling an FCS team at home. You should be establishing that battle in the trenches. And, yes, they played better than Holy Cross's defensive line. They won that battle, but they didn't win it by their mark that we'd anticipate a solid Power 5 team to do against Holy Cross. They're just the weak unit on this team right now. Right. I think, you know, it's impossible to consider when giving a grade to this team that to leave out, you know, excused absences is the, right. is the term I'm trying to use here. <laughs> I'm trying like to get it. at because you can't really do anything about injuries and and of all people to go down up front you know to lose your center it's lose tough. Your heckle is just that's that's your backbone that's your quarterback up front on the offensive line you know th- those offensive linemen are sometimes very oftentimes too some of the smartest guys on the entire field the reads that they have to make and the the time the the speed of everything going on up front it's it takes a lot of, of mental willpower so pass catchers is the next group I said B minus for them. And there's been some good, there's been some bad. The good, as we talked about earlier, Tristan Jackson, Aaron Hackett as well. Even Luke Benson. They're getting good production from the tight end position, more than they've gotten in a really long time, more than they've gotten in the Dino Babers era. So that's good. But the bad for me, Sean Riley's been pretty much a zero the past couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Nikeem Johnson has been doing nothing for this team. Taj Harris looked better against Holy Cross, but those three guys who we thought were going to round out a really solid wide receiver group. If you're going off based on expectations going into the year, they might even be lower than a B-minus, but I said B-minus because Tristan Jackson has been excellent for them. He has been excellent, and it's it's tough when grading this this team. Like, what is going different You know, as this year as opposed to last year? Obviously, it's the quarterback position, but it's not like Dungy. I feel like Dungy was a lot stronger you know, with his legs. It's not He wasn't sure. a bad passer by any stretch of the imagination, but it was his legs first. And, well, then, if that's the case, then what else could you know be a driving factor here? There's no Jamal Custis. There's no big body that runs a 4-5, 4-4, you know, that can really light up a defense down the field like Custis did last year. There's no Amba Edetawo-type player, Steve Ishmael-type player. It's, you know, I don't want to say there's less talent because Tristan Jackson has done an excellent job. But I feel maybe that defenses can still a little bit spread the love a bit, you know, a bit more, yeah. especially in the red zone. Red zone offense has been really rough so yeah. far, and I think it's because they don't have that big body exactly. target. So maybe we will see more. And of I think Aaron that's Hackett. been more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why they've been going to him, kind of out of necessity there. 
Rapid fire through the defensive rankings here. Defensive line's been fine. Mm-hmm. I said B plus. I mean, yeah. they do. We still have to factor in they have two of the best edge rushers in the ACC. Right. Robinson looked great in the past two weeks. He's starting to play more like himself. Would Would you have? For I would you say on? yeah, B plus. This is a unit though with you know Robinson and Coleman that you'd hope would be above a B plus if you want right. if you want to really go off again like you did last year and. No knock on them. They've done a fine job, but you know it, it'd be nice to see them be A-minus worthy, A-worthy. A yeah, this is where we get into kind of the areas where I think we're falling back towards the lower marks, linebackers and secondary. Starting with linebackers, I gave them a C, and Lakeem Williams has been pretty good, but there's been a lot of missed tackles through the first five weeks. Yeah, there has been, and this is a unit that we were kind of curious to see how they were going to do. Andrew Armstrong obviously asked to do a lot more. They don't have leaders in the middle like they no, used to, yeah. and, and it's it's definitely been an adjustment period like we expected it. So be. you got a ranking for them or a grade? I'll say a B, B-minus range. Okay, so I'm a little harsher on them. I put yeah. linebackers at C. Secondary, I said C+. Plus. Yeah. I mean, that's another unit where we thought they were going to be really good, and Cisco's been grabbing his interceptions. There's been some good stuff. There's also been some injuries there, but... The Maryland-Clemson games, more Maryland, was just really bad from the secondary. Yeah, I, I, I kind of also, I, I, I want to see Antoine Cordy kind of just be, be on the field, stay on the field, and and just watch him do his thing. It, yeah. it stinks that we haven't had that pleasure. But, you know, Andre Sisco balling out again, that's it's great to see. You know, I almost worried that there could have been a, a sophomore slump merely because of how great he right. was as a freshman, you know. <laughs> yeah. And to see that not be the case... I mean, he's he's going to play at the next level and, and likely make an impact. Yeah, so you're right around C-plus probably for them. Yeah, I would say C-plus, B-minus. Cool. Well, those are the report cards. We, we put Syracuse in session, put them in school. If you missed any of that conversation, check it out. Orange Fizz by searching all by searching Orange Fizz on all the podcast apps, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Fizz feedback is next on the other side right here on The Score 1260. All right, time to wrap things up with Fizz Feedback here on Fizz Radio. Tim Leonard, Harrison Singer here with you. Got about seven minutes left in show, so we'll end it like we always do. Put out a couple things on Twitter. You guys respond to it. Sometimes it's polls. This week, we just got a lot of comments about where the state of basketball recruiting is at. We tweeted something out back on Thursday that was essentially what we ran through in an earlier segment on this show, the ranking since Mike Hopkins has left and gone to Washington, and they're not so great. So we said, are, are we worried to Fizz Nation? And we got some good responses here. We'll start with Pete Hunt at Pete Hunt 19 on Twitter said, he's coming in hot here. He said, <laughs> that's why Hopkins should have been the head coach five years ago. That's, uh, I don't disagree with you, but, you know, Pete, at the same time, now, you can't take back time, right? So no. I think with that not going to be the case, it's definitely a, a big question as to what will happen next, you know, when Bayheim's time is, is done. Are they going to stay in-house like a Hopkins-type hire that would have been? But, you know, are they going to go out outside? I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but I feel like they're going to keep it in-house. That's just yeah. Because... Like, part of me feels like Bayheim wants to leave, and once he's watching, once he's done and retired, and he's still watching the games from afar, he wants to see his two, three zones still doing <laughs> the thing. He wants to leave that legacy. And it also feels 
a little sacrilegious to just take all the hard work, 45-plus years, whatever it's going to amount to, of Beheim being there and say, you did everything for us, and that 2-3 zone has produced great numbers, but we're going to bring in a different regime. We're going to bring in a different coach that's going to kind of teach Syracuse a different identity and go against what you did. It almost feels like a knock against Beheim, which it probably shouldn't, but that might be how it's perceived. And because of what Beheim did and the legacy he built, and, you know, we could talk about the recent years all we want, but overall, Beheim has been nothing but good for this program. You can't deny that. Right. And it, it does feel like a knock a little bit to take a different coach and bring him into a new regime. But honestly, I don't know if staying in-house is the answer. Right, like, that's this is a great... A great conversation to have regarding Syracuse athletics because this is this is the biggest thing probably biggest overarching thing that sure. the, the you know the athletics department faces and look to me there's no disputing what Beheim's done you know over the last 40, 40 plus years right it. no doubt about that but you know I think a lot of what we do uh, as a collective honestly is kind of get lost in the times kind of maybe try and stay a little too rooted in in tradition and 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 an old time's sake and and in a changing game too like where where ball movement is everything where centers the best teams their centers are passing and creating opportunities on the wings and 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 outside the arc for their for their their guards and their sure. forwards it's it's just the flow of the offense like i i feel like they they the best decision would be to Look outside, but, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, who knows what they'll do. Right. Only time will tell. <laughs> Only time will tell. Another response we got to Fizz Feedback, BM Bunch at bbunch0 on Twitter said, this is kind of an interesting response. He said, we have a lot of young talent on this team that most likely aren't leaving early and will be around four years to develop. A lot of these kids being recruited are probably realizing the team will be mostly juniors and sophomores next year and playing time could be limited. That's a good point. And like we said earlier, it's also a lot of guys that are international players that aren't getting the high caliber rankings yeah. like they deserve. Yeah, they are. And I think that speaks, though, this, that tweet in general really does speak to the changing culture that we're seeing at, in, in the program. It's guys coming in as freshmen, but there are other guys that weren't top recruits that were here before that, that signed off on, before those guys. And They've been there freshman, junior, senior year. The juniors and seniors, the upperclassmen, are the guys that will be getting playing time. And, you know, when those freshmen grow up, it'll be the same for them. It's not going to be freshmen come in, dominate, you know, like a Tyler Ennis situation or right. a Michael Carter-Williams situation where he's out after a sophomore year. We just probably won't be seeing that. You know? And that's fine. I think a lot of teams win that way. Think of a Villanova, UNC. Absolutely. Absolutely, no doubt. But, you know, one thing about Villanova and – you know, some, some schools, like I guess, like Gonzaga and even Creighton, with Doug McDermott at least, sure. guys who get you really get off, programs that really get off on experience, they still are able to throw one or two players into the NBA and you see them on, on NBA teams making impacts. I, I know we've Syracuse has had, you know, the Tyler Lydons of the world and, and Battle was a junior when he left. We'll see how he does, you know, at the next level. But I feel like a lot of the guys that stay for the four years versus other schools still – might have a hard time finding room at the next level. Yeah. Another response we got here from Maxwell Smart at RoyCap1963 on Twitter. 2020 is misleading as they really don't need a lot of recruits for next season. We touched on that a little bit, and it's true. I mean, right now it's still early. They're 52nd in the country currently in this class. Doesn't sound good, but it's only one guy that's committed. It could get better with Isaiah Jackson, and 
after getting five guys last year, there's not pressure to get two or three guys. You, you probably tap out at two in this class. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And but you know that still doesn't mean that there is this glaring trend of hey, where we we have guys like we did a few years ago coming in with aspirations at the next level. Like I I do think fundamentally to succeed in the NCAA in the tournament and and beat teams that you're going to see in, in the round of 32, Sweet 16. You need guys that have next level, like your best player ideally has some uh, at least borderline first round uh, NBA aspirations. Right. Tyus and O'Shea kind of fell into that boat, you know. But at the same still time, still talent. Right. They, and, and I don't feel like though since Battle and O'Shea that there, there are guys. We'll see about Gurrier. Like, we'll see about yeah. a lot of these international guys who do obviously get lost in the recruiting pipeline. But. Again, that's another thing time will tell with. It's almost like football. You need four stars at the end of the day right. to beat a Clemson. Mm-hmm. But that's all the time we got for Fizz Radio for Harrison Singer. I'm Tim Leonard. We'll see you next week, same time, Saturday morning, 9 to 10, on the score 1260.